Thank you for downloading this resource from the International Christian Medical and Dental Association. To find out more, go to www.icmda.net slash resources. The views expressed in this resource do not necessarily reflect those of ICMDA. This um, is a sort of title and why all doctors should care about substance misuse and look a bit at the size and the symptoms and, and how we treat the problem. Um, but then why Christian doctors should care um, and then why churches should care. So your issue is that people are saying this is not really what Christians should be involved with. You know? Yes. Because what, you're making them continue to sin? No, because they're... Uh the harm reduction is not a harm reduction for everybody. Yeah. It is a statistical harm reduction. And uh, that's not the, uh, the norm of Christian thinking in black and white. Yeah. And uh, uh, so uh, it is better to leave hand of this uh, because you harm somebody. And it's true. I think I'll confuse it more then, because in some ways I don't see harm reduction and detoxification as being black and white. I see things in some ways as being, you know, as soon as I give people some treatment, you know, you, you are reducing the harm. You know, when, when we put people onto treatment, the first thing, within the first three months, what you see is that less crime is committed with, with heroin, this is. You know, they may not stop using their drugs, but their, their drug use will reduce significantly such that they won't have to go out and commit crime. Um, so they may still be using a bit, but you actually have seen that. I see it as being part of the process, and maybe with that sort of circle of things, you're trying to move people. Um, I don't know, it's difficult to draw other pictures, but people don't become Christians if they're not interested some become Christians like that. They hear one person talk, they read one verse in the Bible. For many others, it's a process, isn't it, that they have to go through. Um, and, and that can take, take time. But, you know, I suppose I, I feel that I mean, the evidence is there that actually main, putting people onto replacement treatment does reduce a multitude of this in terms of their physical health, and it does improve families. And... I just feel that that is, you know, that is Christ's response, that we should be compassionate. I would always be seeing people as wanting to still have um, detoxification as a goal, but whether it's going to take two weeks or five years, you know, in, in some ways isn't the crucial question for me. I don't know if that helps. I think that people who, who have opposition need to meet some of the people. And I think that's where it comes. You know, we, we, with the children and, and families, you know, if, if someone is misusing drugs and they've got um, children, they'll often have to see social workers and then there will be many meetings deciding can the children stay with the families. Now, you know, I do believe that it is right that children should stay with the families and, and you know, they're going to stand much more chance of staying off methadone, uh, staying off heroin if they actually are on, on methadone. But not forever. But if you're wanting to get stabilisation in people's lives... I mean, my simple approach with treatment is you make your proper assessment, you treat them like any other doctor would, except because you're a Christian, you're going to be very compassionate. 
And then when you put them onto some treatment, you try to stabilize at the right level so that they stop using drugs, and that's your first aim, so they stop using heroin. Then you need to look at the problems that are going on in their lives. And you need to begin to address them. You know, particularly if they haven't got a home to live in, then they're, they're, they're going to see that as a bigger priority than actually stopping their drugs. If they can't earn money because they're not trained, if their families are broken up, I mean, these are the kind of issues that really you need to try to be dealing with generally once you've stabilised. Then when these problems have begun to make some progress, that's when you try to bring people off it. And that's simply... Now, everyone can do things in slightly different orders, um, but, but that does seem to be the best approach. It may just be an issue of timing for people. Well, I mean, you know, in medicine, we have a tradition of using drugs like barbiturates, and then we've gone on to use benzodiazepines. You know, there's other drugs where people, um, yeah, and, and people yeah, may, but people may think of those slightly differently because it's a, a nice, kindly banker, you know, someone who has a, a respectable job, maybe has got stuck on those kind of drugs. You know, and people have different views. I don't really hold that people should be given methadone necessarily for 40 years. I, I think that would be, you know, unusual. But um, very rarely there are some. That's the problem. Well, there yeah. are some very few people. If someone has chronic schizophrenia and they're needing a lot of treatment, I, you know, I can, I can actually see sometimes when actually trying to get people to come off it, you know, may not be. But, you know, there's been problems that often people have not given sufficient doses. So often people have not been given the right dose to start with. And now generally the doses that are given are higher than they used to be. But then, you know, the main failing is that people haven't got the other help and support that they need to make the changes in their lives so that they can then actually, you know, sustain the difference. You know, often people only look from day to day. I, I, I try to get people, you know, to think about the future. Most of us already will be thinking about what we will do at Christmas and maybe where we'll go holidays next year. And many of our drug users only can think to the next day. You know, and in terms of how you lived your life, and, you know, even if you begin to then think about spiritual things, it, it's a very different way of living. And, you know, the progress sometimes is when you begin to see that people can begin to look in a wider sense at their lives. But that's, you know, when you as a doctor, it, it's about working with other people and making people begin to, you know, some of the things, I never, I'm not going to teach them to read. But we need to be identifying these facts and really trying to help people to get to that. And most of them do start them. Most. Yeah, I don't see the people come back to my inpatient unit who've stayed off the drink. So it can be, a, you know, you can be feeling a bit worse about things. Than, but, you know, in some ways the main message, apart from trying to sort of put the context of how big an issue this is and you're going to face it, I think is that, you know, as Christians, whatever kind of involvement we have, 
I just feel this is an area we've got to be involved with. And it's you in your small corner. is an old hymn that they used to sing in England. I in mine. That you can do something which no one else can do. And you do it. And that can make a difference. Even if it's to one person. And we've got that in our... You know, we can do that. I think you can do more than offer just uh, you uh, to tell them you have seen the problem and uh, don't close your eyes and offer them if you have any problems with this uh, uh, I don't try to find a solution but if they don't come and ask you I think you know this hard I agree but I don't think you should give up you know and if there's 20 parents uh, who don't want to listen Sometimes there are others, you know, the one or two. I think, I mean, we haven't had enough time to really look at what the church should do. You know, in some ways, this is where the churches could be offering something different for young people to do. But you couldn't do that on your own. And, you know, one of the dangers sometimes, and this can happen in churches, is where you have someone who desperately wants to help. But if people who really haven't got all the skills that they need... Um, to help these people, they can end up in very big difficulties, you know, and the kind of demands that are put upon them and money and all that kind of thing. So I think you have to be able to do what you can do. But, you know, that would have been maybe another thing, but that takes a long time. But young people often haven't got much else. You know, I know it will change from country to country. I think we're going to have to uh, draw things to a close. So thank you for coming along. I always try to put too much in. We have to finish because you've got to get off to other seminars. So hopefully if we have to skip some parts, you've got the handout um, to try. We, we have a two-year course, um, and today we try to do it in one hour. Okay. So let's see how we can go. What I um, want to do first is to just sort of um, look at... And just talk about the, the sort of size of the, the problem, um, and I can talk about the UK kind of situation, and I think you'll probably find it's not that much different than uh, elsewhere. Then we'll ha I'll just show a few slides about some of the symptoms that we, we see, um, and then maybe we'll, we'll have another little bit of a discussion about the size of the problem in, in, in your different countries. Okay, so this is uh, a newspaper heading from... England, from Scotland actually, but it's saying um, you'll be lucky to reach the age of 60 here, but it's not the third world, it's East Glasgow. And, you know, in certain areas uh, of the UK, there are, you know, particular difficulties, and, you know, it's true that the life expectancy can really uh, be quite low. Now, um, alcohol affects 20% of primary care patients and 70% of the attendances in our accident and emergency departments at night, so from 12 o'clock till 5 a.m. in the morning. And I think one of the things, and you, you know, you were talking about the social, what I've learned in doing this is just how diverse, how, how many different parts of people's lives are affected. So I'll have people who will say, well, my liver count is okay, so I can carry on drinking what I want to, can I? But sometimes, you know, their liver may be fine, but their marriage is in pieces. And I think that's, you know, one of the 
strange areas, if you like, compared to other areas of medicine, is just how substance misuse just can affect so much. So it's involved in accidents, facial injuries. We've got, in a couple of cities, people have now stopped using glass in drink and used plastic because of how many of the facial injuries, again, particularly at night, are being caused you know, by people drinking and, and all that goes with it. And that's led to a reduction in the facial injuries. It's heavily linked with domestic assaults, and you know, that will spill into the paediatrician's sort of realm. Nearly a quarter of our child neglect cases, and you know, also the links with unsafe sex and you know, the problems then that that leaves with, with um, you know, pregnancies and abortion. Um, you know, there's a clear link uh, between the misuse of, of alcohol. Part of what I've said here is, even if doctors have got no interest in this, you can't avoid it. You know, even a pathologist, you know, who doesn't want to see live patients, will see an awful lot of substance misuse, sadly, in their work. So everybody in medicine is going to see this. In the UK, it's estimated it costs about £1.7 billion, and that's about 1.5% of the whole cost of the NHS. We reckon about 4,000 people die uh, from alcohol disease. That was in 2005. And um, this is, you know, how many people. And what's interesting is that when you look at the main reasons why people are dying, like heart disease and cancers, progress is being made so that actually people are living longer. But liver disease is now the fifth biggest killer in the UK, and it's actually going up. And substance misuse, you hit it with hepatitis, which is a huge problem in all countries and is going to become an even bigger problem as the years go by because a lot of people have got hepatitis C but don't know it. And so that's beginning to happen. So you've got the hepatitis from the opium, the heroin users, and then you've got liver failure coming in from alcohol. So, you know, this is a major problem. And as I say, even if people, you know, haven't got much interest, they're going to have to treat this because it's going to happen in front of them. This is drug misuse, um, and these tables just demonstrate, I'll quickly go through this, really just saying how, how um, if you look at this, levels of drug use have steadily risen since the late 1990s, um, but they, they have roughly stabilised out. But I think what's very concerning is the difference between the level of drug use in the younger population compared with the whole population. So 12% of uh, all the population say that they use some form of illicit drug. That's one in 10, one in eight people have used an illicit drug in the last year. But actually it's nearly a third of young people. So again, you push this forward 10, 15 years and you can see the huge size of the kind of problem. And with class A drugs, which would be cocaine, heroin, 3% of um, the whole population, but actually 8% of the younger population. So, you know, this is saying how this problem is really getting bigger. This one uh, is actually looking at 11 to 15-year-olds, so it's the, the younger group, really. Again, it's saying that things have just about stabilised out, but it's about 10%. So 10% of uh, these, and these are school children, 11 to 15, have used some form of drugs in the last month. About 10% are regular smokers, uh, and that's girls are more likely to be smokers in the UK than boys. 
and also the drinking of alcohol. Um, and young people often have got different risks from drinking alcohol than older people in terms of they will much more drink to excess and get themselves into um, difficulties. So that's the size of the problem, and I, I think the main argument is saying, even if you're not interested, it's so big, you're going to face it. What about the symptoms? Now, one of the main concepts, which I think when you uh, are trying to make people look at this sensibly, when I have to write reports for court, you know, if people have child issues and can they go and stay with the family, the courts will either see that people have a problem or they don't. They, so either someone is an alcoholic or it's not a problem. And that really doesn't fit with what medicine would understand. And this kind of triangle, I think, is helpful because you can split people into dependents and then you have harmful and you have hazardous. And then you have people who are drinking but uh, not really outside what we'd say are, are acceptable kind of levels. And I think this becomes quite helpful because what you need is to have different treatments for different people. So hazardous drinkers would be people who you know, and you know people in primary care particularly would come across this. You talk to them and you find that they are drinking more than what they should be drinking, but at the moment they're not getting health problems fine. But there may be a strong family history, say, of hypertension, and you could then be saying, well, this is a, you know, you really need to regulate your use of alcohol because, you know, all these risks add up together. Hazardous, uh, harmful drinkers are people who are not dependent, but actually have reached a point where the drink is causing them some harm. And you need to have a slightly different approach for these groups. And then you have the dependent people, and they will need to have a different approach again. Now, you know, the hospital shutting for you in Hungary will probably mean that this end of people are the ones, the most severe people, perhaps are going to miss out on the treatment. In the UK, what we're seeing at the moment is that the government is putting a lot of emphasis in trying to help this people, and they're putting money into GPs and primary care, so that you hopefully are going to stop people going on to a worse stage. The trouble is that this is too big at the moment, and so uh, people miss out. But I think it's very helpful because, you know, when you talk about churches, and churches see it often, you know, again, they don't really understand it all. I think it's important for people to begin to look at it in this kind of way. This is some of the features of dependence. And again, before we write people off as being drug addicts, it's important that we go to, and these are the World Health Organization kind of definitions, and these are the kind of things that we need to look for. Now, I've got them in the handout, and I think we'll move on because of time. But in some ways, what it's saying is that you can't just write people off very quickly. If you want to treat people, you'll treat them as you treat anyone else in medicine. That's you start off with a history, you examine them, you do some investigations. I think the difficulty at times is that people just make very quick decisions and don't give the same kind of approach. Now, just putting these figures in um, for the UK, it would say that about 38% of men would be in these top categories. Okay? So that's well over a third of people would have hazardous, harmful, or dependent use, and 16% of women. But 6% of men and 2% of women 
are actually dependent. So we have over a million people in the UK um, who would be dependent on alcohol. So I hope that, it, 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 I, I found this to be quite a useful way because if not, if you try to treat someone who is drinking maybe in a harmful way in the same way as you treat someone who's dependent, you know, and, and binge drinking, which clearly is a problem in many countries, is not dependent. And if you try to treat binge people by giving them a detox, it won't really change much at all. It may help very, very briefly, but it's not going to be the answer to the problem. And I think sometimes that's where the difficulties come, because people are not doing the right thing. Now, all medical students among you will see these kind of things that you have to learn. I've forgotten them all. But the main message from this is alcohol can just affect anywhere. And it's a very good way for you to learn the whole of medicine. Is just think of what alcohol does, and you, you just go through everything. But it's a very clear message. Any part of your body, you can end up uh, with... Misusing alcohol leads to increased difficulties. And this is some of the liver kind of changes um, that occur. And each of them have different kind of morbidity fallacies um, affecting us. Now, I'll, I'll gloss over these, but these are sort of some of the uh, blood tests that you can do. And in some ways, what I'm trying to encourage by making think, think about this is, you know, it is a scientific approach. And just as you test for other conditions. You need to use the tests that are available. The point is that some people can have entirely normal liver tests, even if they're drinking uh, to excess. So it's abnormal in two-thirds, which and gamma GT is a, one of the most common tests that people would um, do, but actually it can be normal. I think the other message, though, is if you happen to be doing some blood tests for someone completely unrelated when you start off with alcohol, if you see changes in these blood tests, you need to begin to think, well, could there be a problem with alcohol? So again, going back to someone maybe with high blood pressure, and you just do some normal kind of blood tests, and you haven't thought about alcohol, if you see that the MCV is raised, mean corpuscular volume, then maybe you would go back and, and actually think about it. We've said so far, these problems are very common. So if you're not seeing them in your practice, you need to look for them, and you'll find them. So those are some more of the um, kind of problems that uh, come up. You know, young people maybe aren't going to be so, so worried about the risk of cardiomyopathy, but if you tell young people it may affect their re reproductive ability, you see, mm -hmm. sometimes they begin to connect a bit more with, with the risks. This was a saying that I think is, is true, that research has clearly proven that to become an alcoholic is one of the most effective ways of reducing your life expectancy. And I think, you know, again, that's true. Now, just quickly moving on to um, substance misuse. This, again, is sort of a, a list of the possible complications, and I'm not going to test you on them. I have done that before in these groups, but it, it's the, the diversity it's just how, how wide and the different kind of presentations um, that you can get. Um, and, and things like TB, which you know, in some countries people feel they've managed to get rid of, we're now seeing you know, come back. We've had one person particularly. And it gets very complicated with their treatment because the drugs you're using for the uh, TB inter interact with the liver. And so the methadone dose, we have to push up a lot 
whilst he was on the treatment with TB. So you have to work at it. These are just looking at maybe some of the impact that it has on, on brain function. Um, and, you know, when people are sort of saying maybe some drugs are not so bad as others, when you look at evidence, you know, there are long-term effects that you can see. And the trouble is a lot of people don't just use one drug and so have a pure trial of that. Many people are using uh, a significant mixture. This is just stressing the, the kind of sense of how it affects so widely. Most of the patients that we would see with heroin use have, have often had problems with their education. A significant number can't lead and write. If you're wanting to get them back to work, you know, you've got to begin to think about that because however good your treatment is, and you know, when they've got children of their own and they've made a big effort to do better, but then their four-year-old, five-year-old child comes up and says, will you read to me? And they can't read the story at bedtime. All of those are factors in why people will continue to use drugs. And so, you know, this is getting far away from normal medicine, but these are the kind of things that we need to be thinking about for patients. They often haven't had much employment and they may need to get retraining. Um, many have been involved in crime and been in prison. Normally there's a string of broken relationships from a very